Well, let's get into God's Word, what He has for us this morning. Father, we thank You this morning for Your great goodness, Your faithfulness. We thank You that we've been able to come here and to worship You in this wonderful building where there's heat and, and, uh, and safety and we don't have to worry about the government coming in and shutting us down. Or, and we're just so grateful, Lord. We're grateful for this season and, and the, the, the opportunity to celebrate what You've done for us in so many different ways. But Father, we're aware this morning that there are many of our brothers and sisters around the world that don't have that resources, that freedom, or that ability. And we're just mindful of them and ask you, Father, that your love for them and your, 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 your devotion to them and your grace and favor will be very clear to them as well as your protection, Father. We thank you now for the word as we turn to your word. Father, you've given to your church what we need. You've given to us this living word. It's none, unlike any book that's ever been written because this is God-breathed and it is you speaking to us today. And we want to have ears to hear and hearts to receive and eyes that are open, our inner eyes to see. We thank you that you've also given to your church your spirit to live in us but also to be here among us as we gather together. And he is here to search the depths of your heart and to bring to revelation knowledge to us, to open our eyes to see all that, that you have prepared for those who love you. And so we come by faith asking you to do these things as we open your word together. And we thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. And amen. We've been talking, we've been learning about the importance of walking by faith. And the reason for that is because we're learning to walk in the Spirit. And the reason for that is because God has put His Spirit inside of us. When you come to Christ, God took your old heart out, your old nature out. Remember, we've taught you there's three parts to you, spirit, soul, and body. Your spirit comes from the realm where God lives. God is His spirit. It says in John chapter 4, verse 24. And, and, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. So everything we do with God in terms of real contact with Him comes spirit to spirit. And, when, and then your spirit is your real nature. So when you've come to Christ, God took your old spirit out and put a brand new spirit in that. We talked about that on Wednesday night. First Corinthians, Second Corinthians five seventeen. Uh, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. That new part of you that's the new creature is your spirit man, which is your real nature. And then you have a soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions. It's your personality. It's the part of you that you're most aware of, and it's the part of me that when we talk back and forth, you're aware of in me. It's my, what makes my personality different than my wife. But then when you live in a body, and that body is our house, it's our home, actually, it's our tent that we live in. And we discover that the problem is that our body comes from this natural material realm that God created. We have the report in Genesis 1 and 2. That your spirit comes from the realm where God is. That's a spirit realm. So you're, caught, you're part of two different realms of existence. This natural physical realm and the spirit realm. And your soul is the bridge that connects the two together so that they communicate with one another. And we've gone all over, over all that. We're not going to go back over that this morning. But I want to remind you of that because what we're studying, why this is so important, is because everything that God's provided for you, His wisdom, His strength, His righteousness, all of God's blessings, Ephesians 1 says in verse 3, that blessed be the God and Father of all Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Every blessing He has, He has given to us. In Christ Jesus, in the heavenlies, and that's in the spirit realm. So all that God has for you 
He is given to you in the spirit realm and yet is living inside of you now. Not only that, God's living in you. The Holy Spirit's been put inside of you. Because God said, not only did I put a new spirit in you that's born in me, but I put my spirit in you. That's the same spirit that, that raised Christ from the dead. It's the same spirit that parted the Red Sea. It's the same spirit that God used to create the universe. The power of God and the ability of God and the wisdom of God and the knowledge of God and the victory of God is living God. God is living inside of you right now. So whatever it is you're facing in life, God's in you to give you the strength, the ability, the wisdom to overcome. And I've shared stories with you out of my own life of where he's given me supernatural wisdom. I mean, even back when I was practicing law, where he's given me strength in my body. I was living, last couple of weeks, I've been a living example of that because when I came out of that room, I didn't feel the energy I felt when I got up here and even this morning. Why? Because it's the life of God and that's not just when I stand behind a pulpit. That life is in me all the time, but most of the time we're dominated by what our body feels. Your body talks to you. It says you get up in the morning, oh, I'm getting older, it aches here and it aches there. And then we start talking about it, telling one another. So we're renewing our mind to how old we're getting. And of course, we saw where Paul says, the outward man's perishing. But that doesn't mean why you're, it just means you're in the process of getting older and this body will quit at some point. But while you're going in this process, don't speed it up. Don't contribute to it. Of course, I'm 71. I can't do the things I did when I was 21. And I don't want to do some of the things I did when I was 21. But I can make this easier or harder by what I say and by what I think. And I'm preaching to myself today because it's easy to do that. And so, so, so your body talks to you, but your spirit talks to you too. And the problem is we've lived our lives and still living most of our lives so dominated by what our body's telling us and what it sees and hears that many times it overwhelms us and yet the victory to overcome is inside of us and we never tap into that victory because we're not walking by, we're walking in the flesh and not in the spirit. And walking in the spirit does not mean you're off in la-la land somewhere. Because there's some fruits, nuts, and everything else out there that just think that that's being spirit-led. That's not a great witness for the Lord. It's overcoming things in your life. It's being steady in the middle of a storm. It's having joy in your life when there's no outward reason to be joyful. That is the, test, the greatest testimony that God lives in us. It's not the flakiness. And so, although God does things that can be very demonstrative. So we're learning how to do this. How do we tap into this? Well, to do that, we have to learn to walk by faith because what faith is, is learning to walk not by what you see with these eyes or hear with these ears or your senses. It's learning to believe that what we just said is true, that God is in me and God is speaking to me. God is strengthening me. As I said, when I got up this morning, most mornings lately, just because of some of what I've come, gone through and still going through, my body, I, I don't even want to get out of bed. It's not just I don't want to get out. I don't feel as if I can. But I'm, I'm here. So my body lied. My body told me I couldn't get up and function today. It lied. You know, your body lies to you. You've got to realize you can't trust it. It's a liar. 
It'll tell you what you can't do. And, and you just, you know, you've got to go back to God's word. God's word says, the Lord is the strength of my life and my salvation. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Begin to put those things on. And I'm just using that as an example for my own life right now, where I have to believe what God's word says, not what my body's telling me or what it even looks like sometimes or what feels like. And that's just not true of my body. It's true of life itself, everything around us. So faith is learning to walk by what God says, not by what I see or feel. And we looked at examples. Jesus is the greatest example because he wasn't moved by anything that went around in the natural. He was totally moved and empowered by the life of God, of his Father that was on the inside of us. But we started looking last week or two weeks ago at a story the Bible says has been given to us as an example of this very thing, as a lesson for us. And it was a story of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt and going into the promised land. And I'm not going to go back over a lot of that. Egypt, Egypt, the, the Israelites were a nation chosen by God, and God formed them starting with Abram. It was started based on faith. And we don't have time to go back over all of that. Started based on faith. God was training. I want you to walk by faith in me. I want you to trust me. That whole nation came into existence because God required Abraham, Abram, who was 75, and, and Sarah was 65, who could have no children, he required them to trust him for the promise God made that I'm going to make you the father of many nations from this barren woman who's too old anyway. And when they finally got to the place of believing God, it took about 25 years, that gives me hope, and then supernaturally, when he's 100 and she's 90, she becomes pregnant and Isaac's born. And he's known as the child of the promise because God was training them to take me at my word, my promise, believe me, regardless of what your body's telling you, regardless of what your experience tells you, I want you to learn to trust me because I want this nation, my relationship with this nation, based on faith in what I say and faith in me. And then through a whole series of events, God leads them into Egypt to provide for them in a famine. They overstay their need to be there. And when they cry out to God, some 430 years later, God is ready with a deliverer, Moses, to bring them out. And this journey is a story that's relatable to us because in the Bible, Egypt represents the world. It, it had, a, it had the dominant, some of the dominant philosophies of the time. It was very advanced in medicine, science. It was probably, except maybe for in the Far East China, it was the most advanced nation in the world based on what man could figure out. And, and so it represents the world that we're called out of. And God's desire's will was to bring Israel out of Egypt, bring them into a land that he promised them. Now, there was a route that would have taken about two weeks to get there, but God says, I can't take you by that route because on the way you're going to see the Canaanites and you'll be afraid and you'll run back into Egypt. So God had to take them by a different route. And the route God took them by went way down into the peninsula, Sinai Peninsula, and brought them down after three months to the Mount Sinai at the base of it. God calls Moses up on the mountain and says, I want you to bring the people of Israel around the base of the mountain. It's in Exodus 19. And I'm going to come down on that mountain in three days and I'm going to reveal my glory, my power. I'm going to reveal myself because God reveals himself different ways, different what he wants us to see. And he wanted them to see his awesome power because they'd seen the miracles and and the sorcery in Egypt. And God wanted them to know that his God was the ultimate power, was the ultimate authority, so that they would fear him in a godly, reverencing way and obey him. And that's what he said. 
But they came out to the base of the mountain. They were afraid and they ran away and told Moses, we can't bear this. You go find out what God says. Come back and tell us and we'll do exactly what he said. Well, that was their intention, but they didn't do it. Why? Because God, listen, this is going to be so important for us today. God's method of training them was better than their method of being trained. Can you, can you believe that God knows more than you do? Some of you aren't so convinced. God knows more than I do, and He knows me better than I do. So He knows what it will take to train me, and He knows what I'm going to need to know, and He will know how to train me and prepare me for that if I will cooperate with Him. What we're going to see is Israel didn't do that. So God brings them out. So, so God's method was God knew that if they came and stood at the base of that mountain and saw him for who he is, that they would not serve other gods, but they would serve him faithfully and obey him. And then God could take them into that land and bless them. But they did what they thought would work better than what, they, than what God said would work better. And as a result, they failed the test. And we began to look last week at what happens. So, so, so the, now God comes down, begins to he forms a has Moses build a tabernacle, a, a, ten, a, a basic church for them, and every day God comes down, and he lives on he, he he's over the top of that tent as a pillar of fire by day and a, and a, a cloud of day and a pillar of fire by night, and then when it's time to move, the cloud begins to move or the pillar begins to move, and they follow him, and that's in Numbers eleven. We'll get to that I think today briefly. And so what happens is they brings them out, and his plan, God's plan, is to bring them out and bring them into the promised land. It takes them a year to get up to the edge of the land of promise, which is Palestine, which is where Israel is known today, or at least is part of where Israel is known today. And so they get up there, and we saw last week what they do is they decide that they want to check out this land God's promised them. So they take 12 spies, one from each member of each tribe, and they send them in for 40 days to walk around from all over this land to check out whether what's in there. Now, militarily, that may make a lot of sense. But when it comes to walking by faith, checking out what God says makes no sense at all. And so in essence, what they were doing, were saying, God, we know what you... Oh, by the way, we saw in Exodus 23, God told them what he was going to do. He says, I'm going to take you into this land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a place I've called. It's your destiny, and you're going to prosper there. I'm going to be your provider. I'm going to make you blessed and prosperous. And by the way, there are, there are enemies in there. And he named who they were, and he said, and I will drive them out one by one. And we saw last week, he said, I'm not, I could clear them out all at once. But if I did that, then the wild beast would take over. So I'm going to clear them out one by one as they confront you. And then they stood and said, we believe all that you said. We agree to do all that you said. So it wasn't like they didn't know it. So now at the end of that, and another nine months later, they send the spies in to come back. And they come back with evidence that everything God said about it was true. But ten of those spies come back and says, yeah, everything God said was true, but there's Hivites, there's Jebusites, there's all these ites in there. God said that too, remember? And he said, we're not able to overcome them. And the descendants of Anak are there. Those are giants. Those are big guys, warriors. They're there too? Like God didn't know that. And they said, we're not able to go in. They were afraid. Why? Because they were moved by what they saw. They believed what they saw over what God said. 
Now, this is a nice story, but how does it relate to us? Because every day we make the same choice. We have in our possession, in very many different forms now, what God has said. God's promises. And we have the choice every day, am I going to believe what God said? Or am I going to believe what I see? Or what I hear? Now, driving in your car, believe what you see. But when it comes to the things God has said, we have a choice every day, am I going to believe what God's Word says? Or am I going to believe what my senses are telling me, and my experience is telling me, and my reasons telling me? And this is the choice they have to make. And we're every day or somewhere in between one of these two choices if we haven't made one of them yet. And so we're going to look at this today and break this down. Because what happens is the ten of them give what some translations call an evil report. Because although God's told them what to do, and although God's told them what He will do, they chose not to believe Him. Instead, they chose to rely on what their senses told them. And they said, we can't do what God, we can't receive what God has for us. Now, I've mentioned before, that, that there are people out there that will teach you that the Egypt represents the world, that the wilderness, which is what they're going through right now, represents your, your journey in the earth, and that, that the promised land represents heaven. But it can't represent heaven because the promised land was full of enemies. And according to my Bible, they're not in heaven. So, so what the promised land represents is your maturity and destiny as a Christian the witness we're to be as a Christian as we as others see God's victory in our lives and see us not moved by what's going on around us. As we see the joy... And if you study the history of the early church, especially during their persecution, this is exactly what they were examples of. Now, no matter what the devil tried to do to destroy them, all it did is multiply them. The martyrs would go singing to their horrible deaths, praising God. When they were hung on crosses and, and, and Nero lit them up to light up his festivals, Christians burned. They were singing when they went up. That's an incredible testimony. There's something real inside of them and it drove these leaders crazy because they couldn't, they couldn't steal their joy. Most Christians today, it just takes a you know, flat tire. And oh my gosh, my world's come to an end. We, we need to mature and become strong. And so God brings them up to the edge and they refuse to go in. And so where we ended last time is God was, God was upset. He didn't get, it took him a long time to get upset at them, but he was upset because they were rejecting him. And God says, he says, here's what I'm going to do. Because what you kept saying, and we're going to look a little bit at this today, what you kept saying is that, you know, every time something went wrong, we wish we were back in Egypt. You just brought us out here to die. They complained to God and they complained to Moses, his representative, that God wasn't going to take care of them, that God wasn't faithful. They accused God of being uh, uh, unfaithful to them. And then but once you start, see, once you start complaining, well, it starts before that. Once you start paying attention to what you're getting and take your eyes off of God and His Word, then you open a door and the next thing you want you start thinking, thinking about what you don't have, then you start feeling sorry for yourself and then you start complaining, and then you start inviting others to join you in your complaint, because they're complaining too. And so we start throwing a pity party, and the only people who will accept the invitation to a pity party are other people feeling sorry for themselves. And what we're going to see is God gets angry at that. 
because it's an insult to him when he's prom- when he's done so much for us and promised us so much. Now we've all done it, and God loves us and forgives us. But there's a danger there because then it progresses into bitterness. And Roman, Hebrews 12 says bitterness will eventually defile you and others around you. It becomes a spirit that becomes contagious. It can get into a family. It can get into a marriage. It can get into a family. It can get into a church. And it's, it's destructive. It's demonic. And it all starts with paying too much attention to me and to and, and what you have or you're getting or what's not happening to me. We begin to feel this is exactly what happened in the garden. Exactly what Satan used in the garden. God's keeping something from you. God knew that if you eat of this tree, you'd be like him, and God's trying to keep something from you. And the moment we start listening to the thoughts about, well, I don't have this, God hasn't done this for me, we have opened a door, and it's a door you don't want to open because you don't want to let in what will come in with that door. Well, that was a different message. But they were doing that. And now what happens is they come up to there, and God, God, here's what God decides to do. He says, all right, first of all, he's going to fry them all. And Moses says, no, Lord, that's not going to look too good to the Egyptians that you couldn't get them in there. And so God says, here's what I'm going to do. Every one that came out of Egypt that's complaining is not going to get into the promised land. I'm going to keep you here for another 19 years until all that generation died out. Because you said... God, you brought us out here to die. I'm going to give you what you said. So it behooves us to be careful what we say when we're feeling sorry for ourselves because God may give it to you. And he said, but your children who you said would die out here, they're not going to die out here. That's who I'm going to bring in. And the reason God had to do that is because the children didn't have the memory of Egypt. It was every child born after they got out of Egypt. Because the first generation had the memory in their senses of what it was like. Of course, the senses, your memory can be selective. Have you ever noticed that? All they remembered was the food they ate. They forgot about the the stripes on their back. They forgot about the taskmasters and the hard workload. They forgot about why they cried to get out of there. They forgot about that and all they remembered to the point that they felt they had it better in Egypt. And we've got to be careful because as a Christian, you can come to the place where you think you had it better in the world than you do in Christ. We're not going to look there, but Hebrews 11 says, and when you do that, if you keep looking backwards, you will get the opportunity to return. And I'm sure many of you know people that have turned back and they're back in the world just as if they had never been saved. In fact, in Hebrews it says they're worse off in many cases than people that were saved. Because they'll get you just, you know, there's nothing worse than a backslidden Christian. Because they'll act worse than, an, than a sinner. And so that's where this is. And then God says about Joshua and Caleb, the other two spies, because their report was different. They said, yes, oh yeah, the Hivites are there and the Jebusites, oh yeah, the sons of Anak are there. But we're well able to overcome them because God is our defense. God said he would get rid of them and they're going to be like bread to us because God's going before us. So they were standing and trusting in what God had promised them. They were not moved. They saw the same thing, but it didn't move them off of God's word. 
So what we want to look at today with that long introduction is what made the difference? What made the difference? Because our scriptures, you don't have to put them up there, although I was going to, is, is Paul said, well, put them up there. Put Second Corinthians 4.18 up there. For we do not look at the things that are seen. This is New Testament. But at the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal. We're to live our life. Now, obviously, again, driving your car, you use your physical eyes. But by seeing, it means what are you focusing on? What do you spend your time thinking about? What do you spend your time talking about? What is the focus? <clears throat> what are you seeking after? We're not to look at or depend upon or rely upon the things that our natural senses tell us. We're talking about the things of God. But the things that are not seen, that's the spirit inside of you. So we're not to walk around governed by what our physical senses tell us, but we're to be looking at or governed by what our spirit man sees, and we have to do that by faith. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal. Now, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, and this is our theme here, for we walk by faith and not by sight, relying not on what my senses tell me to decide what's true, what's going to happen, but by faith in what God's Word says, faith that the Spirit of God is on the inside of me to help me and to enable me today. All right. Now, we're going to look at, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We, we touched on this last time. I want to read down through verse 13. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that our fathers were under a cloud and all passed through the sea. He's talking about the children of Israel we just talked about. The cloud he's talking about is that presence of God that led them. All passed through the sea. That's they saw the, the Red Sea parted and they walked, through, they walked through it on dry land. All were baptized into Moses. That just means they were doing, going through this experience together with Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Verse 3, they all ate the same spiritual food. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. They all drank of the same spiritual rock. God provided physical food for them. God provided physical water for them and out of a rock. So they all had these experiences where they're seeing God provide for them. They're seeing God provide food for them every day. They're seeing God with their natural senses provide water out of a rock. They're seeing those things. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. That's Christ. I don't have the time to explain that. But with most of them, that is all but two, God was not pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. And these things, this is what I want you to see, these things became our examples. So this story is in the Old Testament as an example for us as Christians. So there's something we are to learn from this. Everybody with me? So it's not just an old Bible story. Oh, we can learn some faith from that. There's a lesson for us, which means we're capable of making the same wrong choice they made. And understand this. When, you, when they made that choice, when they got in there, and they were so moved by what they saw that they rejected God's Word, that didn't happen just because they woke up that morning not feeling so spiritual. This is what... I really want you to see. They spent an entire year preparing for that mo that 40 days. And because they didn't get what God was teaching them for those that year, they failed the test when they got in there. Now, I'm not going to spend the time this morning to go into it, 
But if you look at the end of chapter 9, Paul talks about his own testimony. And he talks about having your life being purposeful and focused. And he talks about the things he went through. The persecution he went through. He talks about the fact that, 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 that he said, I, I make myself all things to all men that I might by some means mean Christ. That doesn't mean you leave here and go hang out on a bar with your old buddies because most likely they're going to have a better influence on you than you have on them. But Paul says, I'm going to reach the world so I'm able to come to where they are and meet them where they are, but they're not going to move me to be like them. The hope is that I'm going to move them to what I have. But he says, I can do this because I stay focused on what I'm here to do, which is to bring the gospel to everybody. And he says, so I conduct myself like a boxer beating the air. You know, a boxer trains to hit, land his punches. Because if he, he you know, he, a boxer gets in that ring. I've got to be careful because I'm going to get sidetracked. Well, that's okay. I'll just follow it out. A boxer doesn't get in that ring with his opponent and says, you know, I wonder what I'm supposed to do here. Because they'll find out pretty quickly what's going to happen. Because the other guy's intending to take him out. Well, I suggest to you, we're in the ring of life, and you have an opponent coming from the other corner who wants to take you out. And so Paul says, I'm in this ring, and I'm in this with a purpose. And my purpose is to overcome that enemy, to put him on the canvas. So therefore, I've trained. And everything I do in my training is for the purpose that I can win this bout. So that when I get in the ring, I don't just swing my punches lightly, but every punch has a purpose and a goal. And I'm not a boxer, but I had a, a gentleman I knew very early on who was a gold, blood, gold glove boxer. And he taught me some real simple things. He says, when you've, one of the ways to wear a box, your opponent down is you keep hitting him in the ribs. Now, hitting him in the ribs is not going to knock him out, but what it's going to do is begin to tire out his chest muscles so that he will not take breaths that are as deep. And if his breaths are not as deep, he's not going to get as much oxygen, which means he's going to get tired faster than I get tired. And when he begins to get tired, he starts lowering his hands. When he lowers his hands, the target gets vulnerable. So those early punches to the body are purposeful. And then he goes on and says, but if I swing and I miss, it gets tiring if you swing and miss. It drains you. But if you, if you swing and hit and you begin to see the effectiveness of it, strengthens you. Well, the same is true spiritually. But Paul says, I didn't, I, you know, a boxer doesn't do that by just getting up one day, showing up at the ring, where last night, yesterday he's been eating Twinkies, and you know, he's been running around watching all the TV he wants to, and say, ah, oh, tonight's fight night, I better show up on time. And his belly's hanging out over the thing, you know, and it's like, you know, he gets up there, well, where is? Let's go on this, boy, I'm ready. You know, he's trained. Because he understands when the moment of truth comes, I better be trained. Remember Rocky? Remember the Rocky movie? Oh, come on, you've seen Rocky. Don't be so spiritual. You know, all the stuff he went through, hitting the beef, all that stuff, you know, getting his body in shape and training his body. And then Paul ends in verse 27, he says, I learned to keep my body under. Now, he's not just talking sexually, he's not just talking, he's not just talking about food. He says, I've learned that I, the real me, needs to dominate my body. So I, I buffet, I mean, I buffet it. <laughs> It says in some translations. Literally what he did, what he, the word he's talking to, he says, I beat my body. 
What he's taught, what the boxers would do, because the most vulnerable part of a boxer is his face. Remember Rocky One? Because your face starts swelling up, and some people's skin is more, muscles are more sensitive than others. A boxer gets hit too often in the face, some of them, their face will start, and now they can't see. And imagine you've got an, an, an enemy in that ring, who's trying, and you can't see. That's where a lot of us are spiritually. We're throwing prayers out there. We're throwing scriptures out there. We're doing all kinds of things. We have no idea where the enemy is because spiritually we're not seeing anything because our, we've been beaten up and our face is puffed up. And so what they would do is they would put a leather glove on with little pieces of like pebbles and things in it. And instead of waiting for the opponent to hit them, they'd hit themselves. And they would toughen their face up so when they got in the ring and their real opponent hits their face, they're already toughened up, disciplined. Oh, we don't like that word. Ooh. And yet, isn't that what the word disciple means? And so Paul says, I keep my body under. I, I, I discipline my desires of my body. Doesn't mean you can't enjoy food at Christmas time, but you've got to be in control. But it's not just appetites. It's whatever your flesh wants to do, you need to talk to it and it says, you don't run me, I run you. Because you're not your body. And speak to it. And it's not just food. But here's why. What he's, what he, what, it's not just the food. Though We'll get into this down the road. Not just the food, but other things. What he's, Paul's saying is, I make sure that my five senses don't dominate me. I make sure that what my body wants to do, what my body feels like, that that doesn't control me. And then he goes into this story as an example. So as we look at the beginning of this, what we're going to see is, keep this in mind, what Paul's saying is just as Israel failed that test, I'm going to show you why so you don't fail the test. Because he goes on to say, I, I, lest after, I keep my body under, lest after having preached to others the gospel, to most of the known world, I myself should be disqualified. That word means fail the test. I'm not think, I don't think he's talking about whether you get into heaven or not. He's talking about whether you finish your course and accomplish what God has for you to do in your family, in your life. Because what did they do? Israel got to the edge of the land and they failed the test. Because there will come a time when there's a testing of your faith. It's what I've been through this year. There will come a time when there's a testing of your faith. There may come, well come a time when there's a major testing of your faith. It may be life and death. I'm not talking about whether you're going to heaven or not. It may be life and death to you or your family or what, just what God wants to do. And what you have done ahead of time will determine whether you're able to pass the test. The three Hebrew children when they were taken into captivity of Babylon. And they were, they, were, they were chosen as part of the first wave. I'm just going to take my time going through this, because this is... God wants us led by the Spirit. He wants us walking in the Spirit, because all that God wants to do in your life is determined... How much of it's in your life is determined by how well you're able to walk in what the spirit of what God wants to do and not be moved by what your senses and what people around you are telling you. No, I'll go back to that example. Let's go through here. We're going to read right down through verse 13, and then I'm going to go back through it. We're already down to verse 4. 
all drank of the same spiritual food. They drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, which rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not pleased. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now, these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things, just as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as some of them were, some of them, as it was written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality, that's having sexual relationship with someone that's not your wife or husband. And some of, the, some of them did in one day, and 23,000 fell dead. My goodness, what if that happened today? We clean out a lot of churches. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed in some of the pulpits, and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain of some of them, nor complain, as some of them complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. These are examples we'll go to look at. Now all of these things happened to them as examples, and they were written down for our admonition upon whom the ends of this age have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. If you think you're not vulnerable to this, you're the most vulnerable one here. I don't care how long you've been walking with the Lord. I don't care if you're the senior pastor. I don't care who you are. We're all vulnerable. As long as we live in this flesh, we're vulnerable. If you don't think you are, then your flesh is controlling you already. Because you're full of pride. And don't worry. Life will have a way of showing you. Look at verse 13. For no temptation has overtaken you except as some, such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Isn't that so encouraging? Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond, beyond what you're able. So if you're sitting there, oh, I'm going through something. There's no way I can handle this. Well, then God missed it in your case. Because God will not allow you to go through something He hasn't determined that you are able. Now, He didn't say that you thought you were able. He says that He knows you're able. See, you, you have an opinion about what you can do. God knows what you can do. Amen. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will, be able, will, will, will make the way of escape so that you may be able to bear it. So that you may be able to bear it. We looked last week at the end at Hebrews 4.2. We don't turn there. And where Paul, ta- or the writer of Hebrews, is talking about walking in faith and he uses the Hebrews again as an example. He said the problem was they heard the word. They sat in church on Sunday morning and heard the word, but it did not profit them because they never mixed it with faith. So that means that hearing the word is not enough. They heard God's word. We, we went over that and looked at it in Exodus 23 where God told them what he would do. And they agreed with it. They sat in church and said, Yes, Amen, Pastor, that's right. That's what we'll do. But the word they heard was not mixed with faith. And as a result, when they got to the test, what they remembered in church three weeks ago didn't carry them through the test. Sunday morning is wonderful, but it's not the time, it's the time where God can encourage us and direct us. But it's not the main feeding time for us. That's every day with God. Wednesday nights help. Uh, you just you cannot make it just going to church Sunday morning and not getting in the Word during the week, not spending time with God during the week, and really not even coming on Wednesday night. Wednesday nights is the booster shot that gets you going. 
I'm, I'm very pleased we're blessed here because a lot of churches have given up midweek services because not enough come. We get a, a, a fairly good attendance here, but it's still only a percentage. And I'm not thinking of anybody. I'm not after anybody. But I know there's lots of things going on in our life, but there really is nothing more important because the test's coming. The test is coming. The test is coming. I'm going through one. Yeah, but there's a test coming. There's pressure coming. There's a test coming. And are we going to be ready? That's the question. Nothing to be afraid of if we'll just let God train us. Because God wanted to train Israel, and He tried to train them, but they would not allow God to train them. And so God trains us because He loves us. We're His people. He knows what's coming. He knows what's coming in your life personally. He knows what's coming in your family. He knows what's coming in the church. And He's preparing. I could take you back through the history of this church, and we're not going to take the time, and show you for how every challenge the devil brought, God had already made a provision. And I'm an example of that. God had made a provision. In one specific case, ten years before, God made provision. If we'll allow Him. If we'll allow Him. So you get in a situation where, how did that happen? God failed there. No, God was preparing. But we don't listen. We're so dominated by our senses and what people tell us and how we feel, we're missing what God's trying to do. Amen. So it's worth learning this lesson. All right, so let's begin to look at this. How did this happen? How did they get to this place when they had God's Word? They had people encouraging them in God's Word, and they failed to get into their destiny. And as you go back, let's go back to Numbers 11. Because he talks about here, don't lust after evil things. And that's just not, not just watching movies you shouldn't watch. It includes that. But it's more than that. And, and it's, it's, it's desiring evil things. Let's go back in Numbers 11. Let's look at an example of this. The one he's referring to actually here. Because each one of these things refers to something specific. Now, what's happened between Numbers 1, chapter Numbers 10, is God has them in the wilderness, and God's preparing to lead them. So he tells them to do a number of things. He tells them to number themselves, find out who they've got. It tells them to sanctify themselves, because some of them hadn't sanctified themselves while they were in Egypt. And he's getting them ready to do this. And in chapter uh, 10, God comes down with this cloud and this fire, cloud in the day and fire at night, to lead them. And, and it's, I've used this to teach being led by the Spirit. It's so simple. God said, God said to Moses, when the cloud moves, you move. When the cloud stops, you stop. In other words, wherever the cloud goes, you go. Where it doesn't go, you don't go. You just do what the cloud says to do. Which means you have to keep your... I've done an example before people. You just have to keep your eyes on the cloud. What are we supposed to do today? Just watch the cloud. The cloud moves, we pack up and we go. If the cloud stays, we just stay here. How does that relate to me? You've got to get up in the morning and be aware of the cloud. The cloud is the presence of God inside of you and just follow Him. I mean, obviously you've got to go to work and do it, but there may be things He wants you to do and you'll know when you get there. Or he may show you ahead of time. Be open. Be, it talks about they had to be aware the cloud was there and they had to have their eyes on it. You have to be aware the Spirit of God's inside of you and you have to have your spiritual eyes on him and ears open. What are you saying? What are you doing today? What is it you want me to do? So it's a perfect example of that. So they've come through that. God's just told them, this is what I'm going to do. Now we go to chapter 11. Now when the people complained... It displeased the Lord, for the Lord heard it. He hears our complaining. 
And his anger was aroused. Now we'll see why. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of them on the outskirts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the Lord, and the fire was quenched. So they called on the name of the, ta- of, of the place Tebereth because of the fire of the Lord had burned among them. And now the mixed multitude were with them. They were some of the Egyptians that they brought with them. And they yielded, listen carefully, to intense craving. They yielded to intense craving so that the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? Who will give us... They're complaining about the food. And what happens, first of all, is the Egyptians that came out with them, because we're going to see in a minute, like I've told you before, God's providing bread for them in the morning and the evening. And what the Egyptians that are among them are beginning to get dissatisfied with this bread that God's providing. By the way, it's free. Because they remember the meat they had back in Egypt. Your senses have memory. I remember a year or so ago, I don't know where it was, somebody passed me by and they had a perfume on. And immediately I could remember my grandmother. Because it must have been the same perfume she wore. Because it was like immediately I became so aware of her. Just I wasn't thinking about her. It was just that odor in my brain back there was associated with her. So your memory has senses. Your senses have memories to them. And this is why you've got to guard what you're thinking about and remembering. And they kept getting up in the morning and thinking about the food they had in, back in Egypt and We'll see the leeks and the onions. I don't know why that was so exciting. but the, And the meat that they ate. And they became dissatisfied, listen carefully, with the food God was giving them. The food they were remembering came out of the world. And as a result, Hebrews 11 says, if you keep thinking of where you came from, you will have an opportunity to go back. And now what do they want? All they're thinking about is this lousy manna we're getting. Keith Green years ago had a song, and it was about getting the same story. It was about the manna burger. Well, it gets manna burgers, manna meatloaf. You know, everything's manna, 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 manna. Where are the leeks and the onions? Where is the, you know, where is this? Blah, 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 blah. God's not taking care of us. And so they began to long... Every time something didn't go the way they thought, every time something didn't comfort their senses, what they'd been meditating on drew them back to Egypt. And then they verbalized it. So they would begin to have pity parties together. And God heard it. We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt. Uh, I don't think they were all that free. But your memory gets selective. And the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onion and the garlic. But now our whole being is dried up. I don't think so. But you see, when you start feeling sorry for yourself, and you go down that road, and I don't have this, and I don't have that, your whole image of reality changes. And if you become what James says is you deceive yourself. They were saying, Pharaoh took better care of us than God. In the world, I had it better off than I did since I became a Christian. 
the end of verse 6 is, and there's nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. Now the manna was like a coriander seed, and its color was the color of bdellum. And then when the people went out and gathered it, and the morning gathered it, and went out and gathered it, and ground it on millstones, and beat it in the morning, and cooked it in pans, and made cakes of it, and the taste of it was like the taste of the pastry oil, pastry with oil. And the dew fell on the camp at night, and the manna fell on it. So they, God was pouring bread in the morning and bread at night. And Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families and everyone on the door of the tent. And the anger of the Lord was greatly aroused and Moses was displeased. Now we're going to go over to, 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 um, to Deuteronomy 8. And the point here is those decisions you make every day are training you one way or the other. Either to be dominated by what God's Word says or dominated by your senses. And what is it you think upon? What is it you think upon? What is it you think upon? The three Hebrew children, when they were brought into Babylon into captivity, they were part of a group, an elite group that were being trained to serve under Nebuchadnezzar's court. And they were, they were, they were the brightest, the sharpest, the most handsome young men of Israel were brought in. And, and there's, a, there's a, like a, I think it was a year, two-year program of training them. And there's a chief eunuch in charge of it. And he says, we're going to give you the food the king eats. We're going to treat you like the king so that you look and are presentable enough to come before the king. And Daniel says, we can't do that because we'll have to defile ourselves. We'll have to eat what the, what the law tells us not to eat. And the eunuch says, well, if you, don't come, if you don't do this, I'm going to get my head cut off. And Daniel says, let's try 21 days. Give us what, we, what we'll eat for 21 days. At the end of 21 days, let's take a look at what, what we look like. So he and the three Hebrew children did that. At the end of 21 days, they were stronger, fairer, because they obeyed God. They were strong and fair and, 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 and better looking than the ones that had eaten the king's food. And so, so the eunuch allowed them to, to, to honor God's word. Now there comes a test for those three Hebrew children where they're being, cho- chose, they're being commanded to, when they hear the sound of the musical instruments, there was a big, big image of Nebuchadnezzar then built up. They were to bow, everybody was to bow down and worship that golden image, which of course violates the first commandment. And they were doing it at the threat of your life. And the three Hebrew children were brought out and of course they refused to bow. So they were brought before Nebuchadnezzar, and, the, and, and, the, and the, he said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't you understand? All you got is bow your knee. I'm not asking you to compromise. Just bow your knee to that. And we just, because they had positions in the government. And we'll just, you know, we'll go on. There's no, there's no problem. What's the big deal? What's the big deal? They said, we can't do that. He says, then I've got to throw you in the furnace. He says, well, our God's able to deliver us. And if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow your knee, which made Nebuchadnezzar even matter. And so he heated up the furnace seven times hotter and threw him in. And you know the story. He looks in and says, wait a minute. I thought we threw three Hebrew children in there. They're, they're walking around in the middle of this fiery furnace and their hands are free. And there's a fourth one in there. And he looks like he's the son of God. Why? Because when you don't bow, you won't burn. When you bow, don't bow, God shows up. The only thing that burned were their fetters that had their hands and feet bound. 
In fact, the fire that Nebuchadnezzar tried to destroy, oh, this is good. The fire that Nebuchadnezzar tried to destroy them with was the very thing God used to set them free from their bondage. So the trial in your life to test your faith, it may well be the very thing, a fire God wants to use to separate you from the bondage you've been held, you bound up your whole life and to set you free. And you know this, God said that I will be with you. Though you go through the waters, I will be with you. The river will not overflow you. Though you go through the fire, I will not burn you, nor will it even kindle on you. For I am with you. Now here's the question. What brought them to the place where they literally chose between a fiery death and and compromising their devotion to God. What kept them from doing that? Because they were trained, Israel or Egypt, excuse me, Babylon and and all the rest of the Israelites were trained to bow when they heard the music. When they heard, when they heard when they heard with their ears. They were trained to bow when they heard. They had been eating the food of Babylon. They had gotten comfortable with what the Babylonian government provided for them. But Daniel and the three Hebrew children did not satisfy themselves with the food of the king. They satisfy themselves with the food that God gave them. They did not listen to the sounds of Babylon. They listened to the voice of God. And what you're listening to, what you're feeding on, in your mind and in your spirit is just developing one of two appetites. I'm not talking about your chocolate cake necessarily. So relax. But you choose what you have an appetite for. I've learned this the hard way and the easy way. If all I do is eat Twinkies and... You know, in, in cupcakes, I, I get a, there's no such thing as I have a sweet tooth. It's what you've been feeding yourself. Because I've had times when I have a sweet tooth, I've had times I look at that and say, oh, it's the last thing I want to eat. It all depends on what I've been feeding myself on. Because you will desire what you've been eating, more of it. Whether it's the Word of God or it's the Word of the world, of the devil. And I've got to quickly go through this. I want to just quickly read this to you, and then we'll probably pick up here next week. Deuteronomy 8 is where God begins to tell them, looking back, what they just went through. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to summarize this now, and then next week we'll pick up and I'll read through it, because it's, the time's late. What God's telling them, and this is the thing I really think God wants us to hear today, is look, this is looking back. This is now 39 years later. The, the other generations died off. This is the 20-year-olds and, and under that are now almost 40. 
that are coming to the edge of the promised land. And Moses is still alive, and Joshua is still alive, and Caleb's still alive, and they're the only ones that are left that came out of Egypt. And God says, this is what I want you to tell them. This is what I was doing. Deuteronomy 6 and 7 talk about it, but Deuteronomy 8 says, I brought you out of Egypt, and I, and I hungered you. That doesn't mean he starved them. He chose what they were to eat. He says, I fed you with manna. I didn't give you what you wanted to eat. I didn't give you what you used to get in Egypt. I gave you what I knew was what you needed to eat to prepare you for what I know was ahead. Some of you, you've been sensing inside of you, you know what, I need to get back to Wednesday nights. I need to get back to get, I need to get, I need to get back into reading my Bible every day. God's not angry at you, but that's the spirit inside of you reminding you you've been not eating enough of, of God's food. You've not been doing it enough. Now, it's not angry, but he's, he, he loves you, but because He loves you, He wants to prepare us so that when the test comes, we will be ready. And God knows how to get us to that place. He says, I didn't give you the food you wanted from Egypt. Not that they had anything against the food, it's where it, what was behind it. Verse 2, You shall remember the Lord your God who led you by the way this 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep His commandments or not. So He humbled you and allowed you to go, go to hunger. That doesn't mean He starved them. He, they couldn't eat what they wanted to eat. And He fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. Look at this. That He might make you know. This is the lesson. That man does not live by bread alone. Physical stuff. Bread represents the physical things. But man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. When the first generation got, into it, got to the edge and the spies came back, they had been living by, what they, by, by natural bread, by what they ate, by what their senses told them. Bread represents the physical stuff of this world. And God says, I, I wanted to discipline you about the physical things of this world so you would learn that you could trust my word when I spoke it to you regardless of how it happened. Because they had to trust God every day for that manna to come down. They had to trust Him every day He was going to do what He said. And God was training them every day by that little exercise of not panicking because I don't see the manna just yet. God was training them that you can trust my word because I said it will be there. Some of them didn't. They went out and tried to collect two days' worth, and it rotted in their teeth. But then they got fed up with it, and they got cried out to God. They wanted meat. So God says, you want meat? Oh, I'll give you meat. And he buried the camp in quail to the point that the meat began to rot in their teeth. God was training them that we don't live by the natural. We don't live by the natural world alone. But we're to live dominated by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God's Word, and this is what we'll get into next week, God's Word needs to have an authority in your life that's beyond your senses in this world. And most of us fail at that. The Word's nice. It's a nice thing. It's a comfort to us. We often use the Word for our benefit instead of submitting underneath it 
And we've now got a generation that doesn't know very much about this word at all. A number of several years ago, a foundation called the Barnabas Foundation that does that does um, uh, polls did a poll of what part of the country wasn't just was biblically illiterate, had no respect for the Bible, and the part of the country that came in number one, the worst, was from New Bedford to Providence. It's us. That's why we're here. The Word of God, what effect, will end with this. What position does the Word of God have in your life? Does it govern your decisions? Does it govern your appetites? Does it govern your choices? Because God and His Word are one. Or do I still have my own opinions? And as one teacher I've told you said, for most Christians, they don't allow the Word of God to get in the way of what they believe. Well, I've got my view. Hot stuff. Nothing personal. I've got my views too, but they're not worth anything. It's only what God says that matters. I love the fact that you love me, and I get a lot of good feedback. Pastor, we love you. You're you know, doing a great job. But ultimately, it's what he says when I stand before him. We need to close. Father, we thank you that you love us so much that you will teach us and train us and prepare us. We believe that your word is teaching us that every day, throughout the day, there are teaching and training opportunities where your spirit wants to train us. Maybe it's to just trust and be patient in traffic that I don't have to get upset because I'm still going to get there in time somehow because you can make a way. Whatever that may be, Lord, we ask you this morning because we're willing we don't want to be like that generation that got to the edge of our destiny and purpose and then we fell back because we never learned to trust your word above everything else. Father, we believe you're, you're calling this to our attention now because there's time. But the time is short and, and it's urgent that we must begin to learn this lesson now. And I pray for everyone here and in the sound of my voice that you would make clear to them how this applies to them in their life as well as in mine. And when we come together again next week, we can begin to pick up here and you can take us to another level. For that, we thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.